1: Look for The Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts.
2: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to episode 392 of our Civil War podcast. I'm Rich.
0: And I'm Tracy. Hello, y'all. Welcome to the podcast. As y'all will recall, we used the last episode to get us started on the Chickamauga story arc. We'll use this episode to continue setting the stage for the battle.
2: As we talked about previously, William Rosecrans' Tullahoma campaign was one of the most brilliant, and successful strategic maneuvers of the war. feinting in one direction, while striking with his main force beyond the rebel's right flank, Rosecrans used deception to get into position to threaten Braxton Bragg's vital line of communication and supply.
0: The Tullahoma campaign, lasting only 11 days and costing the Federals less than 600 casualties, resulted in the Confederates being outflanked and forced to retreat from their prepared defensive lines. Threatened with the loss of the rail line to his rear, Confederate Commander Braxton Bragg had withdrawn from his main supply depot at Tullahoma on June 30, 1863, abandoning all of Middle Tennessee to the Yankees and retreating south of the Tennessee River to Chattanooga.
2: Rosecrans was delighted with his quick success. In the midst of the current Vicksburg-Gettysburg euphoria, though, he urged the War Department in Washington not to discount his army's triumph just because Tallahoma was, quote, not written in letters of blood.
0: And Rosecrans had a point. He had struck the Confederacy a severe blow, and one that hurt the rebels worse, in some ways, than the nearly simultaneous Battle of Gettysburg.
2: Right. That's because the loss of territory, as always, was demoralizing to the Confederates in general, and especially to those who lived within the region. And the Tullahoma Campaign cost the Confederacy a huge chunk of territory and with it went as many as several thousand rebel soldiers who decided to give up on the war and desert once their homes were behind Union lines.
0: And while the Gettysburg campaign, when all was said and done, actually significantly eased Confederate supply problems in the East, Tullahoma, with the loss of Middle Tennessee, worsened those problems in the West.
2: On the other hand, Gettysburg subtracted At least temporarily, and in some cases permanently, 28,000 troops from Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia, far more than even the desertions from Bragg's army that were sparked by Tullahoma.
0: In the end, as Rosecrans had feared, his almost bloodless victory in Middle Tennessee was overshadowed by the fanfare surrounding the major federal triumphs at Vicksburg and Gettysburg, both of which had far more impact on public opinion, both North and South, than did the Army of the Cumberlands' maneuverings in Tennessee.
2: Indeed, Old Rosie was soon reminded by his superiors in Washington that his two primary objectives still lay before him, that is, the capture of Chattanooga and the destruction of Bragg's army.
0: If Rosecrans and his superiors in Washington had been frustrated with each other in the months leading up to the start of the Tullahoma campaign, They became still more unhappy with each other during the six weeks that followed the end of the campaign, as old Rosie seemed to go back into the mode he had been in for the preceding six months, that is, resting, equipping, organizing, and stockpiling supplies, but neither fighting nor marching.
2: From the perspective of those in Washington, the Tullahoma campaign had not been so much a victory as a promising first step a promising first step toward the capture of Chattanooga and the destruction of Bragg's army. The big federal victories at Vicksburg and Gettysburg convinced President Lincoln, Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, and General-in-Chief Henry Halleck that the Confederacy was on the ropes, and that a few more hard blows might complete its defeat. And so, they believed, this was the time for action— this was no time for lengthy preparations and methodical campaigns. No, the men in Washington were more eager than ever for a war of momentum, now that momentum was all on their side.
0: However, that was simply not the way William Rosecrans made war. By mid-July he had once again settled into a secure base, This time, it was Winchester, Tennessee, about 55 miles south of Murfreesboro and about 60 or so miles west of Chattanooga. At Winchester, Rosecrans set about stockpiling supplies in preparation for a projected advance sometime in the vague future.
2: That meant Secretary of War Edwin Stanton and General-in-Chief Henry Halleck once more found themselves trying to prod Rosecrans into motion and another wearisome exchange of letters and telegrams ensued. Abraham Lincoln was more sympathetic toward the Army of the Cumberland's commander, but though patient, the President was not unconcerned about Rosecrans' seeming slowness to advance.
0: For his part, Rosecrans, with some justification, thought that his superiors in Washington simply didn't appreciate the problems he faced operating in southeast Tennessee.
2: For starters, unlike the federal armies in Virginia and Mississippi, whose supply lines were either short, relatively speaking, or waterborne, rendering those supply lines essentially unbreakable, the Army of the Cumberland, in order to sustain itself in a rugged and barren countryside, was forced to depend almost entirely upon a long and vulnerable single-track railroad stretching all the way back to Louisville, Kentucky.
0: One reason Rosecrans couldn't simply press on after the Tullahoma campaign was because he needed to stockpile mountains of supplies at forward bases in order to be prepared for anticipated interruptions of his tenuous logistical lifeline.
2: In addition, those bases along with the railroad, had to be protected with garrisons, blockhouses, and patrols. For example, a huge base was established at Murfreesboro near the Old Stones River battlefield. The place was called Fortress Rosecrans and was intended to be manned by a permanent garrison of several thousand soldiers and hold a three-month stockpile of supplies for 100,000 troops in the field.
0: However, logistical concerns weren't the only problems confronting Rosecrans. There was also the fact that there was a vast area of rugged and mountainous terrain between himself and Chattanooga, which meant that even advancing and coming to grips with the rebels was going to be a challenge.
2: For the Federals, just reaching the Tennessee River would be a tremendous undertaking. Between Winchester and the river, a distance of some 15 miles as the crow flies, loomed the rugged Cumberland Mountains, which were barren, sparsely settled, devoid of forage, and offering few sources of water for an army on the march. Scattered through the wild vista of desolate oak ridges, cedar thickets, and dark gorges were a handful of dirt-poor farmers trying to scratch out a living on small parcels of land.
0: The Yankees would find similar conditions once they crossed the Tennessee, since little of the land around Chattanooga was cultivated, and the long, high ridges that paralleled the river on the east side were as barren as the Cumberlands to the west. What few roads crossed them were little more than narrow wagon trails, described by one man as, quote, rough, stony, and ascended in steep zigzags.
2: So, obviously, the Army of the Cumberland would have to carry enough supplies to sustain it while marching and campaigning through this forbidding terrain. A secure line of supply to the rear was crucial, as were forward depots to stockpile food for the men, fodder for the horses and mules, and ammunition for an army of 65,000 soldiers. Rosecrans was keenly aware of all of this, even if Washington was not, and so he refused to be rushed as he laid out the logistical foundation for a possibly lengthy campaign in a rugged and barren region.
3: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you.
1: In all human history, there are few stories like that of ancient Egypt. On the banks of the Nile, these people created one of the most enduring and significant cultures. Their tale comes to life in the History of Egypt podcast. Every week, we explore the tales of this amazing culture, from the legendary days of creation and the gods, all the way to Cleopatra, and everything in between. The History of Egypt podcast is written and produced by a trained Egyptologist. We go much deeper than your average documentary or magazine article to uncover tales of life, great endeavours, and the amazing arc of a mighty kingdom. The History of Egypt podcast is available on all podcasting platforms, apps, and websites. Come, visit Ancient Egypt, and experience a legendary culture.
0: Having looked at the challenges facing William Rosecrans, let's turn our attention now to his opponent, Braxton Bragg, because although Bragg had the age-old advantage of the defender, his task was far from easy.
2: First, as we've talked about several times now, the Army of Tennessee's high command was a tangled mess of bitterness, jealousy, and hatred. By far the greatest problem with the Rebel Army was its officer corps particularly those in highest rank. Leonidas Polk's continued presence was a toxic tumor that, unfortunately for Bragg, had proved all but impossible to remove due to the bishop-general's friendship with Jefferson Davis. To be sure, Bragg had his faults, but no general, not even a Lee or a Grant, would have been likely to succeed against the poisonous command circumstances that Bragg faced.
0: Besides daunting command challenges, Bragg also faced operational problems with no easy solutions. That's because although the region around Chattanooga was full of wonderful defensive positions, the Federal's potential routes across the Cumberland were spread over 150 miles of front and Bragg simply couldn't cover all the passes through the mountains in force.
2: A possible solution might have been for Bragg to use his cavalry to patrol his front aggressively, and hope that it would provide him with warnings of the Yankees' approach, so that he'd have ample time to take up a strong defensive position at the point where the enemy was attempting to cross the mountains. But with so much front to cover, Bragg thought he instead needed his horsemen extending his area of surveillance on either flank. His thinking was that a successful federal lodgment on his side of the Cumberlands might be regrettable, but a sizable enemy force going unnoticed around one of his flanks and into his rear would be a disaster.
0: To complicate matters further for Bragg, Federal General Ambrose Burnside was up in Kentucky with a small army, tasked with moving south through the Cumberland Gap and capturing Knoxville in East Tennessee.
2: Burnside's name will, of course, be familiar to you guys from his time as commander of the Army of the Potomac. Well, after he was sacked following the defeat at Fredericksburg and the debacle of the Mud March, he didn't leave the service. But instead, he had been shuffled out to Ohio, where he now commanded this force, a new Army of the Ohio, with the primary objective of striking down through Kentucky to capture the city of Knoxville and finally liberating East Tennessee. Bonus points if you remember that liberating East Tennessee had for a long time been high on Abraham Lincoln's wish list since that region was well known for having a strong pro-Union sentiment and had been unhappy under Confederate rule. In any case,
0: during the Vicksburg Campaign, the Ninth Corps, about half of Burnside's strength, had been sent out to Mississippi to aid Ulysses S. Grant's efforts to take the Riverside Fortress. But now the Ninth Corps was back, and Bragg was receiving reports that Burnside would soon be striking south from Kentucky, threatening Knoxville and the East Tennessee and Virginia Railroad, which was Bragg's most important direct link with Confederate forces in Virginia.
2: From Bragg's point of view, the most worrisome scenario would be for Rosecrans to link up with Burnside before attacking Chattanooga. The possibility of a Rosecrans-Burnside link-up was simply too serious a threat for Bragg to ignore.
0: Bragg had to guard against that threat, and that meant deploying his forces more heavily on the northeast side, or Knoxville side of Chattanooga, where they could watch the Tennessee River fords upstream from the city. Thus deployed, Bragg waited for Rosecrans to make the next move.
2: And as we'll see next time, Rosecrans started positioning his forces mid-August, and made his move a few weeks later.
0: That means it's time for this episode's book recommendation. And our recommendation this time is Gateway to the Confederacy, New Perspectives on the Chickamauga and Chattanooga Campaigns, edited by Evan C. Jones and Wiley Sword.
2: This book is actually a collection of 10 essays from Civil War historians looking at the campaigns waged by the Federals and Confederates to gain possession of Chattanooga. It's well worth picking up for its coverage of a wide variety of topics in these 10 essays.
0: Don't forget you can find a list of all of our book recommendations if you head over to the podcast website which is www.civilwarpodcast.org.
2: Also at the website, you can find links to the show's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram account if you'd like to follow us on social media.
0: Just a reminder that the music you hear at the start and at the end of every episode is from the song Midnight on the Water, and we use it with the kind permission of Spiritwood Music.
2: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Civil War, 1861 to 1865, a history podcast. Tracy and I do hope that you'll join us again next time, but until then, take care.
0: Thanks, everyone. Bye.